So we began our series on discipleship several weeks ago with a statement by Jesus that has become a foundational premise, an unquestioned reality within the more charismatic-leaning element of the church, and it is this in John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. This truth, Jesus goes on to say, produces an effect, a response from a sheep, and I want to approach that response through a restructuring of the sentence. I know who my sheep are, and so I speak to them, and they recognize my voice, and they follow me. They follow me. You know what I mean, right? If I say to you, hey, come on, follow me, you would assume first off that I'm going somewhere. Duh. Hmm? And you may think that it must be someplace important and meaningful to you if I am inviting you. Jesus is going somewhere. And where he's going is meaningful to you because he has invited you to follow him. Jesus just keeps doing this. Hey, Peter, come on, follow me. John, James, Nathaniel, Andrew, Philip, hey, come on, follow me. And sometimes it gets really surprising as to who he starts inviting. Hey, Matthew, stop collecting the taxes. Follow me. I can just see Peter. Are you sure, Lord? I mean, IRS? I mean, really? Government agent? You, you know? But Jesus knows his sheep. And he knows they are his sheep in the same way that we can know they are his sheep. Not by who or what they have been in the past, but by the fact when they hear his voice, they follow him. Oh, is that my little guy? Poor little sheepy. Ma, ma, ma. <laughs> so cute. Uh, where was I? Oh, sheep following, right? James, James, come here, buddy. Yeah. So awesome. I want to introduce you to a sheep. Now, can, can I give the, the little pre-thing here? So I, I met James originally when we were doing the School of Kingdom ministry and we were doing the healing room nights. Now, he didn't know we, know we were doing this, 
but he sent me an email and he said, I, I'm plagued by the demonic. I need help. Can you do anything? And I said, yeah, come tonight. We're doing a healing room. I'm sure he had no idea what a healing room was. But we sat right over here and broke the power of this thing. And he heard Jesus say, follow him. And he's been coming ever since. And last week, he was here and got some more ministry. And look at him. See, this guy is lit up. So something really good happened. Tell us what happened last week. And then his wife will give you the whole story. <laughs> I've gone through a lot where the enemy makes me feel like I'm not good enough. But then I know God was speaking to me, telling me that the relationship was more important than anything. And I've gone through addiction, and he's also taken that away. You just stay in the way. Stay on the trail, all right? Guys, doing so awesome. I love this. So some of you know that one of the things that I do uh, just about every year is I bring small groups to Israel. My tour is a bit unique in that it is very much an expression of who I am in my journey in the way. As a pastor, I provide elements of a Christian pilgrimage. As a biblical archaeologist, I offer in-depth, informative exploration of significant biblical and historical sites. And as an adventurer, right? Am I an adventurer, Mike? Yeah, and she gets to be my adventure, adventurer in tow. So I tow her along everywhere I go. <laughs> As an adventurer, I have built in hikes into remote locations that offer both physical challenge as well as opportunities to experience the natural resources available for swimming, climbing, and relaxation. Now, relaxation means hot springs. Really nice sulfur hot springs. So hot that the sign says you can only stay in the water 11 minutes and you must get out. Right? So that's hot. Yeah, very nice. I am. I am. <laughs> I don't know what happens after 12 minutes. I don't want to find out. Maybe things fall off or something. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob was on TV. What channel are you going to be on? LRPA. So he's so after sometime after tonight, he's going to become a movie star. So you you can get pre. He'll sign your baseball or anything. So. <laughs> So one of the things that I provide to those who are preparing to follow me on one of these journeys is a preparation list. What clothes to bring and what not to bring, the proper shoes to buy for the terrain we will encounter, 
gear such as flashlights, backpacks, and snacks for our remote hikes. I provide them with information about certain protocols at religious sites and what to be aware of in our surroundings at various locations, as well as things not to say or do. All of this is for one purpose, so that they will get the most out of the trip and have the most positive experience when they follow me. And because all of what we do takes place in the middle of an active war zone, I ask for one thing as their team leader. If I say go, you go. If I say move, move. Obey first, question later. Okay? Simple rule. Because I'm acting for their safety and well-being. The various aspects of discipleship that we've been looking at over the past several weeks are like that list. If you want the best experience, listen to the one you are following. He knows where he's going, and he knows how to give you the most out of where he's taking you. Isaiah 30, 21 in the NIV says, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you. What voice is that? It's his voice, right? Saying, this is the way, walk in it. All right? Now notice it doesn't say, if you feel like there's a calling on your life and you stand still and stagnant for the next 10 years, he might tell you what to do. Doesn't say that, does it? When you're walking in the way, when you turn to the left, when you turn to the right, then you'll hear a voice. He knows how to correct our path. He knows how to adjust our focus. He wants us in motion. Go into all the world. Pretty simple. Emphasis on the go. This is the way, walk in it. So what happens if you decide not to heed the voice, but to walk in your own way. There have only been three times when team members refused to listen to my voice in a situation, twice in Liberia and once in Jordan. The results were almost deadly. In one instance, it provoked a mob attack on our team. We were in a marketplace, and within 15 minutes we had 200 enraged Muslims chasing us through back alleys and streets, and luckily we got into a walled compound before they reached any of the team members. Now, this is what they did that I told them not to do. Can anyone guess what it was? Took a picture without asking. Don't take any pictures in the marketplace without asking the individual. Now, how stupid is that? Right, it's just a camera. <laughs> they were some kind of enraged. Okay. The other two times, weapons were brandished, and I had to stand between the guys with the guns and the team members with their disobedience, and was able to talk these guys down. So, so my questions. 
Have you been praying the Lord's Prayer as we have dissected it? Remember, our Father, our Father in heaven, right? Have you been petitioning him that way? This is how you walk in the way. Remember, the disciples only asked Jesus to teach them one thing. Out of all that they observed, one thing, teach us to pray. They knew there was something in his prayer life that they needed if they were going to do all the other stuff. Teach us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Have you been doing that? This is part of your list. Have you been praying for someone as a prayer partner? Do you have a prayer partner yet? If you followed through on that, is there someone connected with you in prayer now on at least a weekly basis? We want you to get the best out of this journey. Have you begun to pray for individuals outside the church? Have you begun to saturate your neighborhood with prayer? Do you know who your neighbors are? Lord, I lift up Dick and June right now. They live across the street from me. They loved my grandchildren. They cried when they went to New Zealand. Lord, would you bring them into the kingdom? They don't know a thing about your word. They've never attended church, but they've got great hearts. They adopt all the little dogs with no legs and make these little gizmos with wheels so they can walk them. These people have hearts of gold. Lord, bring them into your kingdom so that they can express that in ways that will advance your cause. Have you been faithful in a little? Just something. So that he can give you more. I made a personal prayer commitment at the conference this week after John Elmer spoke to seek the Lord for 120 new converts in 2015 to come to this church. I'm not talking about transfers from other churches. 120 unsaved receiving Christ as their personal Lord and Savior to begin to attend here in 2015. Now, who will join me in that? That's it? I can't do 120. Listen all by myself. I don't have that big of a neighborhood, but all of us do, right? Can you be faithful in that? To begin to saturate your neighborhood with prayer, that the Spirit of God would begin to move from house to house. Lord, I'm praying here. Would you invade that home across the street? I, I know that person. I've, I've encountered them on the street. I've uh, I've gone over and raked with them. They've, they've come over and they've mowed. We've shoveled each other's sidewalks, Lord. Would you bless them with salvation? Would you bring salvation to their home? Hey, Dick, June, hey, come on over. Come on in, have some ice cream. Let me tell you about what's going on, about Jesus. You know anything about Jesus? Faithful in a little. Have you begun to structure your activities along the guidelines of the symbols we've been looking at? Going up to God in prayer. 
reaching in both to the internal aspects of spirituality and also into our community of believers to develop relationships, friendships. Phil just really hammered this uh, during the conference, how important it is to develop friendships in the body of Christ. Friendships based on our union with Christ and his body, the church. Have you begun to reach out into the world around you, listening for promptings from the Holy Spirit, for opportunities to share your faith, to pray for someone, or just to share a meal, a cup of coffee, or give someone some of your time? Isn't that the thing we say we don't have enough of? I wish I could, I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough time. I, I, I'd like to, but I don't have any time. So how precious is that to take that and say, you know what, I'm going to give you some of my time. If it's that valuable, give it away. Isn't that what God said? Give away your best. If time is that important to you, give it away. Invest it into your neighbor. Listen, let's take some time. Come on over and have a cold drink today. It's hot. I see you've been working in the air. Come on over. Take a break. I'd like to give you some time. Have a conversation. Have a cool drink. Give away your time. Don't do something else, especially with the remote. Following Jesus is walking in the way, and the way is a walk of obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says this, if you love me, do you love him? What about the rest of you? Come on, do you love him? Oh, that's nice. You'll keep my commandments. It's a walk of obedience, what I call a, a, a long obedience. And what I mean by that is not so much a particular length of time or a particularly long time, but for the duration of time. The amount of time it takes your life or my life to transition from the journey in the way to the arrival of, at what Jesus calls my father's house. That's the long obedience. For as long as you have breath, he says you have hope. And I'm saying as long as you have breath and hope, you have time to be obedient. One of the most impacting experiences that occur while following Jesus in the way is connection that often happens with others who are walking there also. So I want to share just briefly about three individuals who have impacted me in the way over the years as they have lived their own long obedience with the Lord. Then I want to go into our time of ministry. And the reason I want to do that is because uh, as Jesus continued his statement, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He goes on to say, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the Holy Spirit. 
So as we come into this place internally of obedience, of agreement to the long obedience, the Holy Spirit is going to move on that obedience in the midst of us because that's what Jesus said. If you do this, if you love me and are obedient, keep my commands, I will ask the Father. And whatever he asks the Father, that is what the Father does. So he says, I'll ask the Father to send the Spirit. So that's what's going to happen today. As we settle on this thing called long obedience, the Spirit of God is going to come and move in the midst of us because we're going to move Jesus by love. Make sense? Made sense to me. One of these individuals I first read about and finally got to meet in the last years of his time here. The second I've never met in person, but his story is impacted and helped to shape my own long obedience. And the third has written no books, but has lived in my home, eaten at my tables, spoken in this room. We laughed together, talked together, listened to one another, and loved each other. And he was obedient for his short duration. The first individual is Richard Warmbrandt. He started Voice of the Martyrs. I read his book years ago, was deeply moved. Uh, Richard lived in Romania. He was a uh, Lutheran priest of Jewish descent. When Romania was taken by the Nazis, he was arrested as a Jew and spent several years in a concentration camp. Second World War ended. Uh, Russia got Romania. Richard was released and allowed to pick up his pastorate again. A couple of years into the communist rule of Romania, all the pastors were gathered together uh, to be given the status quo of the church. They said, you can keep your churches, you can keep your flocks, but this is what you'll preach. They gave him what they could and could not preach. Richard was sitting there with his wife, Sabrina, and uh, she said, Richard, Richard, say something. You can't do this. He says, if I say anything, you'll lose your husband. She said, I'd rather bury a godly husband than live the rest of my life with a coward. Now stand up and say something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta love this girl, right? So, so he stood up and said, "I can't agree to this. I must preach Christ and Him crucified." And he was immediately arrested and spent the next fourteen years in a prison cell. Now, the dimensions of this prison cell were such that he could never stand completely erect. He was always hunched over. The first seven years, there was never a light turned on in the cell when he was in it. The second seven years, the light never went out while he was in the cell. Every day, he was brought out, laid on a table, his shoes taken off, and he was beaten with steel rods on the bottom of his feet to the point where, after he was released, he could never wear shoes again. They used him as a human ashtray constantly putting out cigarettes and cigars into his flesh. He stood before Congress to testify as to the uh, terror tactics of communism, 
and his description was so horrendous that a congressman stood up and said, this has to be all lies. No human could endure that, where he promptly ripped off his shirt, and everyone in the room began to cry because he did endure it. The only thing they ever asked of him was renounce Christ, and he couldn't. He said, many others failed, and I celebrate them because they went as long as they could go, as much as their minds and bodies could endure. They held to that point, and then they broke, and it's probably a lot further than most people who judge them would ever go under these conditions. So he celebrates the ones who failed in their success. He was an amazing man. The last year of his life, I had an opportunity to go out to a conference for Voice of the Martyrs, and I was invited to his apartment in L.A., and we celebrated the Passover feast together, and it was a highlight in my life. He died that same year. The second man that impacted me uh, was Brushko. Many of you who took evangelism classes have probably read his book, Uh, Bruce Olson is his name. At 17, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. At 19, he began to hear in his his mind uh, that still small voice, and what that still small voice said was some word that he couldn't understand. He finally found it in print, and it was the name of an Indian tribe in the deep Amazon of South America. And as he realized who they were and Uh, read about them, he discovered that any white man who had ever located them never survived the experience. And he was convinced that God was calling him to go there to preach the gospel. His pastor told him, no, you're crazy, you can't go. His parents said, please, you're crazy, you can't go. And Bruce bought a one-way ticket. In long obedience one way. And he went into the deep Amazon and found them, and they immediately shot him with five arrows. He fell down a ravine into a stream and just let the current take him. Days into it, starving to death on a bank of this stream, he cried out to the Lord, and a whole bunch of ripe bananas, right, ripe bananas floated down and landed beside him, and he knew that God was hearing him. He ate the bananas and survived and found his way back to a town, to a hospital, and recovered, and they thought they'd just ship him home. But he had bought a one-way ticket. So he went back to the place where they shot him with arrows and sat down and took out a flute and began to play. And all the Indians came out and sat in a circle around him and listened because in their prophecies it was written that years ago they had walked the path with the living God but somehow they had gone astray but one day a white man would come to them playing a flute and he would lead them back to the true path and the whole nation of those Indians is now serving the Lord Jesus Christ He bought a one-way ticket. He has moved me in the way. The final person I'm going to introduce to you on video uh, 